Hello Spectrumites and other people. My name is Forrest, and welcome to episode 3 of The Pancake King, Life and Marriage on the Spectrum. In this podcast, I'm going to give you insights on the autism spectrum, break down some of the myths surrounding it, tell you stories about my experiences on the spectrum, as well as the marriage I have with someone else on the spectrum, and allow you to have a window into my life through conversations I have with friends and family. Most importantly, I hope you learn something from the series as well as have fun listening to it. So in this episode, I have with me a very, very special guest, my wife, who we will call Kay Grayson, or KG for short. How's it going, KG? KG is fine. I thought it'd be a good opportunity to talk about something that people on the autism spectrum are known for. And you decided to give it the word hyperfixations. I was saying obsessions, but you decided... I prefer the term hyperfixation. Pretty sure that's the technical term. So, spectrumites are known for being quote unquote hyperfixated on a limited number of subjects, but to narrow it down, it can be anything from like nerdy school stuff like history, science, or even something tedious like economics, or something like movies, books, video games, and music. So, pop culture. Yes, basically, yes. So my wife here and I are no exceptions when it comes to this trait. Absolutely not. So we're here to talk about that. You ready, KG? Yes. <laughs> okay, so I have a couple of questions for you, if you don't mind. I am trying to make this as professional as possible. However, that is impossible to do when I'm with you. That's okay. So, first question I have, just to kind of go into, I guess, how hyperfixations work for people on the spectrum... When did you yourself recognize that you deal with hyperfixations? Do you remember any of your first fascinations? <laughs> I was like trying to come up with different words. I don't know. I never really thought about it. I guess, but I can look, but with hindsight, I can look back and realize that they were hyperfixations. But there was no point in my life where I'm like, gee, this thing I'm enjoying, I think I'm hyperfixated by it. Well, no, the person on the (laughs) autism spectrum is not going to recognize it as a hyperfixation. What typically happens is that the people closest to them will recognize it as a hyperfixation, point it out as such, and then we decide to identify it as such moving on. Let's see. Um, early hyperfixation. I don't know if this was a hyperfixation, but I was super obsessed with getting a home, getting this machine that allowed you to make homemade uh, Hershey's Kisses. And then I got it, and I used it once. That's pretty common, isn't it? Yes. That's pretty common. We get <laughs> something that we really wanted, we use it once, and then we never use it again. That's the nature of hyperfixations. It's normal for hyperfixations to be short-term. Um, for example, if there are any parents out there, your kid might be obsessed with dinosaurs for like a month, and then by the next month they've moved on to, I don't know, space. And then you'll ask them, well, what happened to dinosaurs? And they'll be like, I like space now. Well, yeah, it does seem to be like with people on the spectrum, when they drop a uh, hyperfixation to move on to the next one, they drop the previous one, like, cold turkey. Exactly. Like, it's just, it's done. Although, that's not to say that every hyperfixation is short-term, but it's just most of them are. You don't say. (laughs) Well, I mean, usually the one that's, usually the one or two or three hyperfixations that do stick around are the ones that the person on the spectrum is actually genuinely interested in. Like, for me, one that stuck around for me is being obsessed with learning about weather and studying weather patterns. 
Actually, that would be a good thing to mention for a minute because that was something that you were studying in school and you wanted to be that. You wanted to be a meteorologist, right? Exactly. And that changed. I was there. Due to ex- but not due to me dropping a cold turkey, it was due to extenuating personal circumstances. Extenuating personal circumstances, including you met me. I'm kidding. Sort of. <laughs> halfway. Um, I would have gone with or without you. Dang, yeah. <laughs> See? That's the cold, cold truth. But I would still try to stay in contact with you no matter what. Even if I had had to go to, like, Oklahoma or something. But either way... Again, it wasn't because it, I I just dropped a cold turkey. It was something I loved, but circumstances happened that I wasn't able to fully pursue it. That's fair. So my second question. But let me turn it on you. What? What, what are you some of what are some early hyperfixations that you can identify through hindsight? This is very unexpected, but very. We're fair. talking about both of us. Yes, we are. Well, that's very fair. Uh, when I was a kid, one of my biggest hyperfixations, something that I became obsessed with and wanted to um, involve myself with, and actually we were talking about meteorology just a minute ago, so I'm going to say tornadoes was a huge hyperfixation of it's mine. It's still a huge hyperfixation of yours. It technically is. Like It's one of those things where it'll sprout up every once in a while, particularly during the spring or the... Tornado um, season. Yeah, basically tornado season. Um, But I wouldn't say... Sorry, you can continue. Oh, I wouldn't say that it's something that happens, like, all year round. It's like when tornado season springs up, I'll, like, find videos of tornadoes that touch down in certain states across the country or certain areas, and I'm still fascinated with um with looking at that yeah i was actually i i watched maybe three separate documentaries about the 2011 joplin tornado so it is something that but it's not something that necessarily you were passionate about enough to study um the it, joplin tornado or tornadoes in general tornadoes in general it's not like oh like, no it's oh, not yeah. like me where you want where i wanted to go into meteorology no i didn't want to go into meteorology but I did as much research as I could. Yeah. I would get books from the library. It makes me sound old when I say that. Uh, people still use libraries. I work in one. I've seen people. Well, that's good and encouraging to know. Another, if we... Well, let's, let's focus on a hyperfixation that you dropped. Dropped? Uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> I don't know. We still quote SpongeBob a lot. Yes, but that's something that millennials do. <laughs> We're not millennials, well, uh, That's though. something that... <laughs> Young people around my age do. I'm 27 years old. I'm not that old. Um, But, no, like, I don't read SpongeBob books, constantly watch SpongeBob and talk about SpongeBob anymore, and own SpongeBob toys. Sure. Um, My parents were generous enough to take me to go see the uh, first original SpongeBob movie on opening day. That was a great movie. Yeah, it was. And I saw it on opening day. And, yeah, so that was something that I did drop at, at one point. But I wouldn't say you dropped a cold turkey. Like, you dropped it, you never looked back, and it never piqued your interest again. But what's the definition of dropping it cold turkey at this point? Because it's not like you'll see me turn on a Spongebob episode anymore. I don't really read anything well, we about it. we don't exactly it. have a streaming service with Spongebob on it. Yes, we do. It's called Amazon. Amazon has 
most of it. Mm-hmm. That's a hyperfixation that, well, for I the s- most part, I'd say 95% of it just kind of dissipated after a while. I suppose Hardy Boys was that for me, too. Like, you don't see me reading those anymore. But I still want to collect them because those are, like, old, old editions. So they might be worth something in the future. That's fair. Spongebob did, you know, didn't really, like, I just, I did drop it cold turkey, I I think is fair. Um, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings has always stuck with me. Mm. You know, I, like, even if those... Marvel stuff. Yeah, even if those passions, like, die out a little bit, they always spring back. Currently, as of this recording, for some reason I've gotten very fascinated with economics, which (laughs) is one of the last things I would have expected myself to to be really that fascinated in you could say you're hyper fixated yes (laughs) i mean as of this recording economics is in such an interesting state these days and it's something that i've become more invested in but now it's something that i'll even talk to you about i'm like this is uh, this is where things are at with the market these are the gas prices right now and all that type of stuff yeah this goes back to our mini skit from the first episode where i'm lamenting about five dollars a gallon um, but All right, second question. Yes, yeah, so you already know the answer to this question, but for the sake of this episode, I'm going to ask you it. Have you ever been worried about, especially since you're one on the spectrum, it does kind of feel like spectrumites have this worry, but have you ever been worried about scaring, quote-unquote, people away because of your tendency to lean heavily on a limited number of topics? It wasn't me. It was my parents. Okay. For those of you who don't know, um, I was actually diagnosed when I was 13. So I w- I w- they caught it pretty early um, in terms of catching it early. And Forrest was a bit late, was later. Um, Way later. I was diagnosed on June 25th, 2015. How old would you have been? I would have been 20. Yeah, so when I was first diagnosed, they had me go to a therapist. Not like mental therapist. Uh, She was a therapist who specialized in helping people on the spectrum um, learn to socialize better, learn how to read faces, learn how to do eye contact, which is why I'm able to do eye contact with you right now. I used to not be able to do that. That's amazing. That's another (laughs) thing from this for spectrumites is that eye contact is very hard for some reason. Yeah, we tend to look at People's mouths instead, because that's what's moving. (laughs) Mouths are like anything else around them beside their eyes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, and they also bought me this, not me, they bought (laughs) this DVD set for people on the spectrum to learn about how to properly socialize. Um, I hated those, because they were annoying (laughs) to watch. But they would have me watch them over and over and over and over again. <clears throat> they wanted to indoctrinate you, <laughs> and in order to do that, they had to repeat it. <laughs> but one of them, but I do remember one of the things that the DVDs talked about was rambling and how to look out for signs in other people that, that shows disinterest. When, right. you, when you're rambling. Right. And that's something that's always kind of stuck with me, whether you can look at that positively or negatively, where I might constantly ask myself, oh, should I stop? Are they freaking out? Are they do, not, do they not like me talking so much? Am I talking too much? I'm talking too much. I need to stop. <laughs> was that something that you... Was that something that was a worry of yours growing up with a fair amount of people? 
Sometimes, yeah. For a number of people, yeah. And they, but yeah, my parents would always try to say, would always tell me, ask the other person questions. Right. Instead of just talking about yourself. Well, some, sometimes you'll ask me if I have questions when you're talking about something that well, means I mean, something to you. Not just necessarily talking about a subject I like, just in general. Right. Like, avoid talk. Avoid um, talking. Uh, avoid talking yourself the most, and make sure to ask the other person question, a question or two as well. Right, that's fair. Um, when it comes to hyperfixations, how do you enjoy engaging in it the most? So it's like listening to music, reading the books, watching YouTube videos, listening to the podcasts. I kind of already know the answers to some Why of these questions. Answer? Why don't you answer it? Why don't you answer it? Because I want it to come from you. Well, which one are we talking about? I mean, let, you can say that it depends. Yeah, it depends know. on the hyperfixation that I'm in. If it's, some, if it's a show I watch I'm, I'm interested in, then I, wa- then I watch that. If it's a song I like, I'll listen to it. Well, why do you think that Spectrumites, or I guess even a Spectrumite such as yourself, um, why do you think that you enjoy talking about your passions so much why do you think there's maybe that like dopamine hit when it comes to talking about things that you're passionate about because when people on the spectrum talk about the things they're passionate about it's probably when they're the most expressive maybe it's because we don't know how to talk we don't know how to talk to neurotypical people the the way neurotypical people talk to each other because there's this whole other language that neurotypical people use non-verbally with facial expressions and conversations. They just know. They know how to hold a conversation. We don't. That's, the, that's, one, of the big, that's one of the negative, negative sides of being on the spectrum is that our brains aren't wired to socialize. Mm-hmm. Our brains aren't wired innate, with the innate sense of being able to talk to another person the same way that the same way that that person expects us to talk to them. So when so when someone comes up to us and sit and talks about something we're passionate about, that I guess can un- unlocks a way for us to be able to socialize the way we want to socialize. And why do you think it's so important to you to talk about what you're passionate about with other people? Well, it's better than bottling it up inside and never talking about it. Because if you can't talk to anybody about it, it just it gets kind of lonely. And I take it you've experienced that before? Yeah. What do certain hyperfixations do for you? Meaning, like, how do they tend to help you during tough times? Let's be open and honest here for a second. Okay. One of your hyperfixations is Go the ahead. K-pop. Is... Go ahead, you can say it. You can say it. You can do it. It's the K-pop band BTS. So we hint... no, not just K-pop. The global sensation BTS. So we hinted at this in the mini skit <laughs> in the previous episode. I think these things ahead. <laughs> so you um, have a hyperfixation that you've had for several years now. I know because I can remember as far back as maybe 2018 when you were really getting into it. I think it started out as maybe more of a closeted thing. You were just waiting for the right time to bring up. Well, how do you, how do you tell people that you like K-pop? That's the thing. How, how do I admit this to people? 
Because the because <laughs> admit it, admit it. If I were to come up to you and say, "Hey, I like K-pop. I like K-pop music." What was your what would be your first response? I would have said, "What's K-pop?" Because at the time exactly. I had no idea. Exactly. I had no idea. And another and another response would be if once you tell them, "Hey, it's some Korean music." They and people it's like, "But how can you understand them? They're speaking another language." And it's like, "That's not the point." <laughs> Actually, I didn't even allow you to answer the question more fully. How does uh, hyperfixation like BTS help you during tough times? And to maybe narrow it down, I narrowed it down to how did how did it help you during the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, to be to be a bit more broad, since people on the spectrum can't socialize well, they have a hard time holding friends or, you know, being friends with people. And so um, when I watch videos of them, of just them hanging out, being friends with each other, it kind of fills that void in my brain that mm-hmm. needs that type of interaction. Mm-hmm. I may be experiencing it, uh, what's the other, secondhandedly. Right. But it's but it's close enough to experiencing friendship that it works. So that's one thing. But going but narrowing it down to the pandemic, since everything was changing all around us, like rules were being put in place, nobody knew what was going on. You know, we had to wear masks. Um, everybody was saying that this was going to stay the same forever. We mm, were never, the new normal. The new normal. We were never gonna. We were never gonna come back from that. From this, we would have to stay socially distanced forever. You know. Yeah. And you know, it, everybody was freaking out. Put it simply, and and even good people were freaking out. Yeah. Um, they were the one thing that never changed. Sure. You would you mind elaborating on that a little bit? I could, as in, like, I could uh, go onto YouTube, I could find a video of them, and they would still be act, and they still acted the same way that they did before the pandemic. And they were always so bright and optimistic and hopeful, and they kept talking about how once it was all over, they were going to tour again and do performances again. And that just kind of made me tell myself that, of course it's going to be get better. They have to go, they have to perform again. So is that something that I guess you sort of had to tell yourself uh, to feel a little bit better? Maybe seeing them happy made you a little bit happier? Yeah, if they could stay positive and optimistic about the future, why couldn't I? That's what makes them good role models. If they were telling me and all the other armies around the world that it was going to be okay... Armies are what the fans of BTS are called, anyway. (laughs) I got the context Armies is the fandom name, yes. If they could tell, if if they were constantly telling armies, including myself, that everything was going to be okay, it was much easier to think that, yeah, of course it's going to be okay. I think, in a way, this sort of shows how hyperfixations that spectrumites have let's not lie here like it is comfort food in a sense yeah not maybe maybe not necessarily in the negative sense the negative way yeah in a negative sense but i think it is a set of comfort food a comfort zone yeah spectrumites feel much more comfortable when they're within a zone that they feel they can trust where they feel welcome yeah you know safe it's hard for spectrumites to feel that way out in the real world. It's hard for them to feel welcomed sometimes. It's hard for them to feel safe. You know, loved. they feel yeah, they feel loved. Um, they, there's a vulnerability to them, and this isn't, of course, to say that they're weaklings. No. It's just 
something that they have to that they deal with mentally i deal with that mentally and if, and again parents if you have some if you have a child on the spectrum and they keep to themselves or they constantly delve into that hyperfixation it's okay it's okay for them to be able to do that the, you just have to set some boundaries with that hyperfixation like obviously they can't always be there you have to you have to set some boundaries and help them figure out how to get through life without that hyperfixation but you shouldn't try to drag them away from it if they don't want to be dragged away from it at the moment right yeah i've seen maybe a little bit of that that um stubbornness from you like no (laughs) (laughs) um to kind of delve a little bit into the marriage aspect of it Mm -hmm. because you and i have our own unique set of hyperfixations yep um there are times where you might you might have like dived into your hyperfixations maybe a bit deeply to the point where it was all you would talk to me about but to be fair i would do that too yeah i would do that with my own hyperfixations where it was all i would talk about mm-hmm. um did has that driven each other nuts absolutely at times? <laughs> absolutely <laughs> interestingly enough you would think that it would be a married couple with an autistic person and a neurotypical person. You would think that one would drive each other um, drive each other nuts. The neurotypical person would be driven nuts by the autistic person's um, hyperfixa- hyperfixations. Thank you. But actually, we're two people on the spectrum, and we drive each other nuts with that. Yeah. Well, it also helps... I think what help, helps balance it out, though, is that we do share some hyperfixations. Yes. So we do have hyperfixations we can indulge in together. And I love that. And, uh, but it's the ones where, we're, where I might have a hyperfixation that you don't indulge in, and you might have a hyperfixation that I don't indulge in, and that's where it can kind of clash. I feel like, in a way, the, the way our apartment is structured and how everything is set up, it almost feels like our hyperfixations are almost like battling for dominance with each other. Oh, so? I mean, when you honestly think about it. Because, like... My and, albums are just on the top shelf. Yeah, you so took over she the entire has... rest of the, sh- of the bookshelf with your, like, DVDs and movies and video games. I just have the top. That is another hyperfixation of mine. Movies. <laughs> Um, I don't exa- collecting them. Yeah, I don't exactly collect them as much anymore, uh, given how things are with inflation right now. And, and given be, how we have no room. Having, yes, <laughs> <laughs> having to be a bit more frugal with things. But, um, yeah, you have, like, all these BTS albums on top of the It's literally, shelf. like, five! You have, There's like, a There's a BTS magazine on display. It's because Math of the Soul 7 You broke. don't have to explain everything, honey. I get it. It isn't, it's time to thrash on KG. This is, this is what our apartment looks like. I know. It's but just kind of funny. Math of the 7 broke. I had to put something in its place. Well, it didn't break. It was coming apart. Yeah, I have a big... Um, Mandalorian poster up there. I mean, there's just all sorts of stuff around here. It's actually amazing that we've managed to fit all of it, honestly. Yeah. But, um, uh, I think something to just sort of conclude this episode. What advice do you feel you can give to people who struggle to communicate with Spectrum? I said, love to talk about the things they're passionate about. So this is talking to neurotypical people? Yes. Neurotypical people who are struggling to communicate with loved ones on the spectrum who may just want to talk to you about what they're hyperfixated on. The advice I can give you is even if it's not something that interests you, you should at least listen. You don't have to 
you don't have to indulge in, indulge in the hyperfixation the same way that the Spectrumite does. Like, if the Spectrumite's obsessed with dinosaurs, you're not expected to go to a library and check out every single book about dinosaurs so you can keep up with them. But just let them talk to you about it. Let them show you or explain to you why they like it, and you can and just listen. That means a whole lot to a Spectrumite. Just being able to te- just being listened to. It means a lot to you when you feel like you're listened to. Yeah. I remember uh, a couple of years a couple of years ago when you got really excited about something. It was something like some I don't know some theory from the Game of Thrones books, and oh, yeah. I remember. Uh, you got really excited about it, so you had to rant that to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember I listened, did did my best to stay focused, keep in the up. zone, keep up. And I remember, and I never forgot it, but I remember when um, I got in the car with my parents, because at the time I didn't drive and I was fully dependent on um, my parents' home and everything, and I got a text from from you, and you were just thanking me for the fact that I listened. Yeah. And I didn't feel like that was random. Like, you initiated that. You felt compelled to tell me that. And I just figured at the time, and I figure now, that it just meant something to you. And maybe, just maybe, at the time, you felt like it was one of the only... Talking to me was one of the only ways that you can vent that stuff out. It still is. I'm still the machine. (laughs) And I had to... And I get fed. Almost every week. <laughs> well, again, like even with an, even with like BTS, I love it when you let when you let me when you let when you let me quote unquote rant about new stuff that happens with them. Mm-hmm. When I get excited about oh, this thing happened with them, or this thing happened with them, or they just broke this new record. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love when you listen to me about that stuff. I know you don't like it as much as I do, says the guy who owns Map of the Seven on his phone, but... (laughs) (laughs) That was not supposed to come out! (laughs) Yeah, I just love it when you listen to me about it. Single autistic men, listen well. This is advice you must take to heart. Um, there was something that we could, that I feel like, um, I can share. It was a couple months ago emphasizing the importance of of listening to your autistic spouse or i guess even listening to your autistic friend um i was really i'm not even going to say hyper hyperfixation is a pretty tame word but i'm actually going to go ahead and say obsession okay <laughs> um i won't say what the obsession was because to be honest i feel like it's a little too political for this non-political podcast but I was obsessed with something. You'll probably remember what it, what yep, it is. I know a couple what it months is. ago, yep. I was obsessed with something. Live streams, news articles, social media. You devoured everything. everything. I would have multiple tabs open with different live streams going on at once, giving me different perspectives. And I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think that it was affecting the marriage very much. And then I got the text at work, um, and you were just telling me very fairly that you didn't want to take away from something that I cared about very much, but you didn't feel like I was listening to you very much throughout the week. You felt ignored, and you even admitted that one of the things you hate the most is being ignored. So that is, you know, being listened to or even, like, having some attention from people, even though you are the introvert that you are, (laughs) It's still very important to you, 
especially if there's something important to you that you want to share with me and i keep twisting it uh, twisting the conversation like a pretzel in a 180 to make it about me and my obsessions again when you're going through that obsession at that time since you are the only person who would really listen to me and you weren't but you weren't listening to me it was that void that there was this need that wasn't being fulfilled that's really important for you listeners to know, especially especially if you're on the autism spectrum. If you want to know one of the best ways, men, to woo the ladies, the autistic ladies, <laughs> I mean, this really is how you do it. Granted, it's very important to neurotypical women that the men listen to them. Mm-hmm. I think maybe just slightly more so for autistic women because they have their things that they're passionate about or they just want that connection with you they want to feel like they're jiving with you that there's um a balance well also just the way that our autistic women's brains are wired i think we're wired a way to be a bit more and this is just my personal opinion mm-hmm. and but something i've heard but i've also heard but i'm not going to quote anything i'm not going to say this is true this is the, this is what this is what's actually happening right is that we're wired to feel a bit more masculine, so we're so we're wired to feel like we gotta drive with the guys because we can't identify with the girls. We drive more with guys because most of our interests align more with guys. Interesting. But again, personal opinion, personal opinion. Um, not saying that that's true at all. There could be girly girl autistic people out, autistic women out there. And that's totally fine. I still fine. yet have to meet one, actually, now that, that is, I think about it. That is true, but I'm not saying that they don't exist. Right. No, that's fair. My final question was going to be, what advice can you give for autistic people who are married who want to, like, kind of balance it out with the hyperfixations? But I think you already uh, nailed it on the head. You balance, you balance it out by um, folk zeroing in on that common ground. Yeah. So it's like you and I both... Love Star Wars and Marvel. Yeah, you and I both love Star Wars and Marvel. It's one of the reasons why Disney Plus is one of the only streaming services that I'm not really willing to give up is because they give us Star Wars and Marvel just about every week. It's something fun we get to do in the middle of the week. It's something that we get to look forward to together and talk about together. It's It helps give us that common ground. Yeah. But other than that, that's pretty much uh, the episode. So thank you, KG, for agreeing to come on this episode. It was an absolute pleasure, of course, to have my wife on here. Straight BTS. And um, (laughs) on to these messages. Hey guys, while I have you, I'd like to promote a singer and songwriter I've had the pleasure of getting to know. David Angus. David has produced music for me in the past, including the opening song of my audio drama, Mortal Deity, which you can find on my YouTube channel, Vanza Productions. Check out his music on Spotify and download his albums when the clubs come out and his latest, Afters at the Casino. I know he'll appreciate it. Hey guys, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast, write a review to help the show grow, and subscribe to my Substack at thepancakeking.substack.com to receive updates on new podcast episodes, a new blog post every Saturday, and other content I may put out. You can also check out the entertainment me, KG, and my friends make together on our YouTube channel, Vanzot Productions. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.